I can attest that in my decades, the most beautiful things that God has given to me were planted in the years and the decades of greatest suffering. And I did not know it at the time. And I think that's really important. I saw only meaninglessness and suffering and pain for days and weeks and months and years and decades. But now looking back, I say, that's where God made me and met me. And that's where God formed me and provided for me. Hey friends, welcome back to the Aching Joy podcast. I'm your host, Jason Haig. Today's episode, I'm bringing in a friend of mine uh, named Catherine McNeil. Catherine is an author. She's uh, written two books. The first one was called Long Days of Small Things, Motherhood as a Spiritual Discipline. And also a book last year came out called All Shall Be Well. And that's the main one we're going to talk about this morning. The reason I wanted to have Catherine on is because we're in a difficult season. Uh, all of us are, are, are dealing with our circumstances in different ways. And Catherine does a masterful job at uh, talking about the seasons and helping us to see life as seasonal and, and looking at various stages um, as uh, having a beginning and an end, but each one having a purpose. So I thought it would be perfect to have Catherine on in the middle of this time that maybe we can all find a little aching joy right where we're at. Catherine McNeil... Thank you so much for coming on my podcast. Thanks for having me, Jason. I'm happy to be here. Now, before we begin, just a, a, a bit of recent history here. Catherine and I uh, uh, connected a lot on Twitter because we're both NavPress authors and because we like a lot of the same novels. And uh, right at the beginning of, of April, Catherine saw this this short story challenge to write a, you know, an, a post-apocalyptic short story for Fathom Magazine. And so she tags me on Twitter and she actually dared me to write it. You dared me, right? It was, I used the word dare. I did say, I dare you, Jason. Yeah. So she dares me to go ahead and, and write a story that was kind of an homage to one of uh, one of our favorite novels, Cormac McCarthy's The Road, which is this, this very stark apocalyptic uh, novel, but she said, write, write sort of a, an homage to that, uh, but that, that features Zoom. It's, it'd be like a father and a son or a mother and a son that are trying to survive, but Zoom is such a big part of our lives since that's what we're experiencing right now. And she did it kind of as a joke, and I made a joke back, and then, well, before you know it, we're jumping on Messenger and we're hashing out the plot. It happened. It's true. So we were you know, both way too busy to do anything like this, but we went ahead and did it anyway because it was a fun diversion. And over the course of uh, a few days, we're sort of sending back drafts back and forth to one another. And uh, we finally put it out in the wild. Neither of us have ever published anything, any piece of fiction. Uh, but we put it out there. I said, okay, what do you editors think? And they chose us and they loved it. I mean, this is a very unlikely thing because we're two nonfiction <laughs> spiritual writers. Who write about hope in the midst of despair. Published an apocalyptic short story about the end of days. <laughs> so now that I've given that introduction, Catherine, real quick, tell our audience what the story's about and where they can read it. Okay, you can read our story at fathommag.com. And it's called The Afterword. So you can look for it there. Um, yeah, it's a very short story, just um, 1,500 words about um, a woman who is living in what she colloquially, colloquially calls the afterword, um, seven years into a major 
pandemic and all the resulting fallout in society. And um, she has a big decision to make if she's going to trust her leaders um, and bring her son out to the open or not. So obviously the story is taking our current scenario and, and making it like the worst possible, you know, worst imaginable outcomes over years and years of dealing with it. Um, so it's kind of a, it's kind of a fun story, believe it or not. But I, I wanted to use that as an intro here because we really are at a difficult place in reality, not in science fiction, um, but in reality. And we're dealing with the coronavirus. Everybody is, is trying to figure out how does life move on. And Catherine, your book, All Shall Be Well, Awakening to God's Presence in His Messy, Abundant World is just, it's a beautiful book, and it speaks, I think, to this place that we find ourselves at. Can you tell us a little bit about All Shall Be Well? Um, the title of All Shall Be Well comes from a quote by Julian of Norwich, and she was a, uh, a mystic saint from long ago who was on her deathbed, or at least she thought she was on her deathbed. She was, she actually did recover, but she was suffering tremendously for a great deal of time. And um, while she was suffering, she believes that God gave her a series of visions. And uh, one of those visions is uh, that all shall be well, basically the ultimate reality uh, that currently exists, but also the ultimate end of all things. Um, and she said in her writings later when she was writing this, she said, all shall be well and all shall be well and all manner of things shall be well. And that's where uh, this book is not about Julian of Norwich at all, actually, but that's where the title came from. And I think that's a perfect a way to introduce the book is that I'm not saying all shall be well, meaning everything is great. Life is so easy. Uh, what I'm hoping to say in this book, which looks at our reality, our spiritual reality, and our physical reality through the lens of God as a creator and how God provides for us through creation, um, acknowledging that a lot of the time we are suffering a lot and we uh, don't see the light at the end of the tunnel. We don't even see a path forward into tomorrow, much less um, any further than that. And yet we believe that all shall be well and that God is making all things new. Um, the subtitle is Awakening to God's Presence in His Messy, Abundant World. So the book itself is kind of follows the, the seasons of the year. It starts out in spring and then moves on towards summer and fall and winter. And um, so it begins in, I live in the Northern Midwest and I have most of my life. And so it begins in those days that we experience where it really seems hopeless. It definitely seems like the white witch may have taken over and there is no hope in sight. Um, but I talk about how that is the place where hope is born and that's where new life comes. That incredible miracle happens in the darkest season, the, the greatest despair. Um, and then I follow that spark of life all the way through, through summer where things are chaotic and it's too hot, and it's too loud, and it's too everything, down to where it begins to wane in the, in the autumn, and we have to start letting go, and we have to start talking about things ending, and trusting, and releasing, and then into winter again, where we have to journey into darkness, and into wilderness, and then, uh, spoiler alert, it ends in resurrection, back into the spring. 
Well, this is why I wanted to have you on because we are in a time right now uh, that seems like a long, uh, it's it's like a season of its own. It's unexpected because it's not coming with the seasons in this, you know, the normal seasons of the year. But suddenly it's sort of like we're all hit Mm-hmm. by this thing we weren't expecting. Um, like everything was fine. We're excited about a new year. Yay, 2019. We're so glad we're going to shut the door on this lousy year. And uh, we all have these high hopes and then suddenly COVID-19 hits and everything is just thrown into a tailspin. And here we are and it's almost like we're going through this deep, dark winter um, again. And I love your approach in this book that with every season, there's hope in every season. There's beauty in every season. There's a thread of life that's carried through every season. Um, and it, it doesn't ever look the same, um, but it's carried in from one to the next. So even though we're here, um, it's not actually a lifeless place like it might feel. Um Yeah, you know, I have heard from a lot of readers who don't live where the seasons are like mine, and they they agree with me that even if your view out the window is different, that these are the seasons that we all go through in our lives. And I do feel that God teaches us something in the repetitions in the world that he created, and whether that's the repetition of day and night, you know, it gets dark, and then it gets light again, um, or the the life and death seasons. Um, We learn to hang on and endure by having kind of practiced um, bit by bit throughout our lives in these more physical aspects. Um, But I agree, we are in a dark season of endurance right now that we didn't ask for, and and it's hard, and we don't see the light at the end of the tunnel, and we don't know where a new life is coming from or resurrection. In general, it seems like despair and death still surprises us. Mm-hmm. Why is that? Oh, man. I think we want so badly for life to be different than it is, and I think we get a lot of messaging, whether it's from marketing or even even bad theology, that actually, if you're doing things right, things are going to be easy. And I write about how we love to go from feasting to feasting. You know, we love to skip right from um, Christmas to New Year's to Super Bowl Sunday to Easter Sunday. Um, And we forget that there's a lot in between. There's um, the Christian calendar has the season of Advent, the season of Lent. Um, and every, every season, every cycle, every day, every life has its, its challenges and its low points. But we only put on Instagram the things that we're excited about. And I, I think we have been trained to think that we can just go from feast to feast and celebration to celebration. Uh, we don't like to think about how complicated and messy our real lives actually are. And as, as Christians... Where do we go wrong there? Well, oh man. Uh, I think we go wrong because we fail to learn how to see God in the dark. And from my experience, I, I have a chapter called Wilderness, and I talk about, again, on the physical, the metaphor level, uh, my husband and I hiking through this absolute desert. I joked about it being Tatooine because it didn't seem like there was life anywhere. 
um, if we hadn't had a car, we would have died, <laughs> you know, like there's no way we could have survived there. But a few years later, my phone alerted me that there were these beautiful flowers that had burst into bloom. And it was far from where we lived, so we couldn't go and see it. But I looked online and it was incredible. I was totally blown away by the idea that this place that seemed so lifeless had such beauty in it. And I can attest that in my decades, the most beautiful things that God has given to me were planted in the years and the decades of greatest suffering. And I did not know it at the time. And I think that's really important. I um, saw only meaninglessness and suffering and pain for days and weeks and months and years and decades. But now looking back, I say, that's where God made me and met me. And that's where God formed me and provided for me. And I think that if we don't know that about God, that we become really easily disappointed and disillusioned and we start blaming God for the problems that are common to all, problems that are common to life on the earth. And we lose the hope that all shall be well and all shall be well and all manner of things shall be well, even if I can't see it. And I don't want to downplay, I just can't overstate how much I'm not saying find the silver lining, because I'm never saying find the silver lining. Um, I'm saying that when you can't see the silver lining, that's okay. Just keep breathing. Just keep walking. Just keep waking up in the morning if you can. Um, because God is there, even in the darkest, most dreadful seasons. God is present. Okay, I'm going to read a bit from your chapter on surrender. Here we go. November rolled around, and with it, a hard freeze. I knew it was coming, and I knew what it meant. Still, the next morning, I found myself asking, I wonder if I can grab enough flowers to make a bouquet? And what could I grab from the garden to make for lunch? Old habits die harder than vegetables, I guess. I meandered outside and was taken aback. Every single plant withered and entirely dead. Their forms just yesterday alive, now skeletal and frozen. There was no life left at all. I wasn't born yesterday, and this isn't my first autumn. I know exactly what the terms are in life, and yet they still take me by surprise, still knock the wind out of me. I stood among my raised beds, gasping at death, where so recently we celebrated abundant life. We are here for a season, which gives birth to the next, then fades away. A season was never meant to be more than it is, and neither are we. We must learn to let go. Beautiful words. I think that we as believers ought to be really good at the surrender piece, but when hard times come, like have, have come to us now with COVID and the quarantine, we kind of suck at it, don't we? We suck at it. And I think, you know, it's funny, you're an author, you'll understand this. I think readers think that we write about the things we're good at. But I at least write about the things that I'm bad at. I write about surrender because every single day I'm confronted by how much I don't want to. And I write about trusting God in the middle of the wilderness because I, I prefer to just live in the world of sunshine. Um, yes, absolutely, I agree. Um, we really we really want to control. We want to know and understand. Oh, I want to understand so much. Um, 
but we do have to surrender. And we really don't have a choice. We are surrendering all the time. And I feel like our current situation in this pandemic is really bringing that to light. You know, always we could have died at any moment. Always we were going to lose loved ones that we cannot live without. And always we could lose our jobs. We could lose what was normal. That was always true. We just didn't see it. And, and I've talked recently about those childhood games where you get blindfolded and then you are spun around and then you're asked to walk forward in a straight line and we can't do it. We, we get so disoriented. We need those plans, those ideas, that vision of what's in front of us and what's beside us and what's behind us. And we've had to surrender all of that and just say, I'm here today. I'm breathing today. I'm doing the next right thing. I'm showing up today. I'm loving the people in front of me today. I'm loving my neighbors today. And that's all I have. God has to take all that and make it into something because um, death and illness and uncertainty are all around. And they always were, but we, we see it so clearly right now. I really think some of this has to do even with our theology. I feel like so many of us as believers have bought into this whole idea that if if we follow Jesus and somehow we're going to be immune from suffering, mm-hmm. and it's just not true. I mean, Jesus himself was so clear about this. In Absolutely. this life, we'll we will trouble. have trouble. And that's a theme that, that you and I both highlighted in our books, but it seems to be something we uh, collectively can miss. Absolutely. I feel more passionate about that than almost anything. Um, I have so many friends who turned away from God because somehow they were told this message. And I think it's a very American message that if they, you know, kind of sign on the dotted line with Jesus, then they're, they're good to go. And Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. And I think what he was saying there in context is all of the troubles of life that exist for everyone, you're going to have all those, you know, you're going to have sicknesses and pains and disappointments and people are going to betray you and you are going to make horrible decisions and you're going to have to live with that and all of those things and death. But also... Um, you're going to be pursuing justice in my name, and you're going to be pursuing a life that is not greedy, but giving. And so people are going to hate you even more than they were otherwise. Um, you're going to have all the troubles that are common to creation and more. Um, and somehow we've wanted him to be meaning the opposite of what he meant. Well, all we have to do really is open our eyes to what's going on in nature to see that these are realities, you know, uh, um, to see these cycles of life and death. And one of the things you pointed out, which I thought was really insightful, is that in the West, and in, in America in particular, so many of us uh, live in a, an urban setting like you do, or, or just live far enough from nature that we're sort of removed from seeing that those cycles. And so we don't really know what to do with death. It seems, or, or, or hardship in general, or dormancy, it just seems like it should be removed from our experience. Absolutely. I think, and again, I, I always worry that what I say is going to sound like I'm romanticizing life, and I'm really not at all. Right. Um, but, you know, you think back to how humanity has always lived, and... 
if you were going to survive, if your family was going to survive, then you had to live in a really delicate balance with other people, uh, animals, plants, <laughs> you know, you really needed the whole ecosystem to be thriving in order for you to even survive at all. Um, I just can't imagine uh, caring for the animals for years and years that would feed my children, you know? Um, I think we, we would have an awareness of how fragile life is and, um, and how precious and how our lives are but a breath. And when we open our eyes to those things, we see God in, new, in a new light, don't we? If my child made a beautiful piece of art, I would study it and treasure it before I recycled it uh, because I would want to say like, what's in your head? Like, this is such an opportunity to see a little bit of who you are that I'm so longing to know. And that's, God made this whole world. What, what was in his head when he did that? Like, what can we learn? What did God place here in this design that allows us to know who God is and what he's doing here and what we need? Hey, you guys, I hope you're enjoying the interview. I just want to push pause really quickly to tell you about my book, Aching Joy, Following God to the Land of Unanswered Prayer. It's a really personal book for me because it chronicles my own journey of hope in the midst of pain. It's a story about the unrealistic expectations I had when my son Jack was born and how his subsequent autism diagnosis and, and his regression uh, destroyed those expectations. It's a story of grief and pain, but ultimately the rediscovery of hope and joy. This isn't a book just for special needs parents, but really it's for anyone who is walking through a season of disappointment with God or disappointment with life. You don't have to wait until it's all over to breathe again. There's joy to be had right in the midst of the aching. So hop on over to Amazon or Audible, pick up a copy of Aching Joy, Following God to the Land of Unanswered Prayer. It did win the Cascade Award last year for Best Memoir, and my mom really likes it too, so there's that. Okay, let's get back to the interview. You know, one of the things I've struggled with, and this is sort of an ax to grind for me, because I've, I've talked about it, I've written about it, I've preached about it, but I still have such a hard time living it, is pulling myself out of the digital world, out of social media, out of the, the endless scrolling, uh, seeing other people's lives, all this stuff. One of the things that's detrimental about it, uh, besides the whole like getting slimed by the content or whatever, one of the things I think that's so hard and detrimental is that when I'm doing that, I'm using one sense, uh, my vision, maybe two senses, maybe I'm listening to videos or whatever, um, but using one or two senses, I'm not smelling the air. I'm not feeling the leaves crunch beneath my feet. None, none of this stuff. And as a result, I'm not fully experiencing the good and the beautiful and the hard parts of life. All I'm seeing is a fabricated window and none of it's real. Right. Oh, I couldn't agree more. I, and again, not that I have already achieved all this. I am on, I have a hard time pulling myself away from social media because I love people and I love ideas and I can get an infinite stream there. And I, and I have come to terms with the fact that that's a good part of how I'm made. And that is a good way to have those needs met sometimes. But uh, I, I do also, we, we need to be startled awake by the things that we're smelling, the, the feeling of the grass under our feet, the sound of the birds, um, the sunset, 
the clouds, the thunder. Yes, 100%. You write this on turning off the noise. When we turn off the podcasts, playlists, 24-hour news, reality shows, and social media feeds, we're left with nothing shielding us from the two voices we fear encountering, our own and God's. We're left naked, forced to examine what is left when when our idols and false identities have been stripped away. It's essential for us to do that right now, don't you think? I do. I mean, our idols have been stripped away, at least a lot of them. Um, but if we're going to, if we're going to survive, we have to be comfortable with the honesty with ourselves, the honesty with God, and go through the whole process of grief, the whole life cycle of, of unhappiness. That's the only way to get there. Not, not to stay there forever. You have a chapter on snow. We don't get a ton of snow in Oregon's Willamette Valley, but you know I spent enough time in the Midwest to remember what happens, how uh, everything just sort of shuts down. You have no choice sometimes uh, but to wait and rest. And here we are in the middle of this long season of having to basically wait and rest. Um, and it's difficult. Can you give us some handles on how to rest well? That's really hard. Um... I think generally we don't like to rest. We like to produce something. And if we're not producing, we like to entertain ourselves. We like to be entertained. And I think rest is a third muscle entirely. It's not producing something and it's not being entertained. Um, And I think we've really lost sight of what it is and how to achieve it. Um, And it does sometimes involve silence. I'm, I'm in a house very full of people and I don't feel like there's much silence at the moment. Um, but I think sometimes rest, and I do write about this also, is thrust on us when we don't ask for it. And that's the hardest of all. Um, you know, we might plan a vacation or we might plan to take a day off, but when we had planned to do things and be someplace, um, and achieve something, and then that's just stripped from us. Uh, we, we don't handle it well. And that goes back to the surrender that you were talking about before. It's a death that we have to look at. And uh, for me, again, it's very tempting to fill all that space with um, social media or Netflix or <laughs> starting up random hobbies. <laughs> but when I put those things down and I just let myself say, where am I right now? What is happening? What, what am I feeling about it? What is God asking from me here? Then I think some of those anxieties that build up in ourselves when our idols are put away and we have to rest and be silent. Um, that's where we find God and that's where we find ourselves. And that's where we have the opportunity to grow and not just to survive. Yeah, you talk about this in in terms of a season of dormancy. I thought that was an interesting Mm -hmm. way to frame it. I'm going to read a bit here from your chapter on uh, on rest. Dormancy may come just when we need it or when we most fear it. We love vacations, spa days, even the occasional snow day. Sometimes we're grasping at any opportunity to sit and rest, but at other times our no is spoken for us without consultation or consent. 
We may spend months or years hibernating in a dormancy we didn't request. <laughs> Physically, emotionally, spiritually, or all three at once. Whether slowed by disease, depression, pregnancy, infertility, family needs, divorce, job loss, or unexpected loneliness, yeah. we see these seasons as wasted, meaningless. We chafe against the silence and lifelessness in panic, alienation, and loss. What if it goes on too long? Who am I in this season? Where has my real, creative, joyful self gone? These questions haunt us all when uh, the bursts of excitement and ideas and productivity dry up, when our spirits become as lifeless as the branches of my maple tree. Friend, if you find yourself in this place, take hope. The season of rest is a necessary stop on the circling pathway of life. Wonderful words. I wonder, Catherine, in this season of dormancy, um, how can we still grow uh, spiritually? H how can we still grow um, in this time? How can we connect better with God? Well, I think the first step is to be honest with ourselves and with God. And that means we're going to have to stop maybe posting pictures about how happy and successful we are during quarantine on social media and um and lament you write about that i write about it a little bit be honest if if you are struggling say god this is this is where i'm actually at this is where the world is now nothing has turned out the way i wanted it to and i'm upset about it um but isn't that complaining uh, aren't we not supposed to talk about that kind of stuff with god no i disagree I was just writing about this yesterday, actually. The Old Testament is full of people who argued with God and um, complained and said, no, I don't think you should do it that way. I love that God is portrayed from the beginning to the end as willing to dialogue with us uh, when we're hurting, when we're, when we're upset, uh, when we have righteous indignation, however self-centered it turns out that might have been. Um, and God can handle it. And there are so many Psalms. There are so many parts of the Proverbs and not Proverbs. There are so many parts of the prophets and even in the gospels where someone starts out saying, oh, most high, most wonderful and beautiful and tremendous creator. Everything is horrible. I hate all of this. Nothing that you're doing is right. Everything just please start over. This is absolutely insane. I couldn't be more upset. But at the end of the day, I will praise you and I lay down and sleep in peace because I know that you are the God that sees all things and are, are in control of everything. Thank you. <laughs> and I think we have to, to get to that end, to get to the place where we can say, and yet, and therefore, um, we have to be honest. We can't, just, we can't just start out being like, oh, no, everything's fine. Um, when we can throw all that we've got at God and know who God is, then we can kind of wear ourselves out and then rest in his arms. You know, it's, it's my toddlers after the tantrum that they fall asleep in my arms. You know what I mean? It's not when they're, it's not before. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I talk about this often, actually. It, it it's amazing to me that, that, so many times we think we have to hide these things from God because he already sees it all anyway, right? 
And it makes me think of like in our relationships or, you know, in marriage, like if I have something against Sarah, the important thing isn't even necessarily the substance of whatever the argument is. The important thing is that there's something between us. It's, it's that there's an argument there. And if I leave it unacknowledged, then what happens is I start acting all passive aggressive, like play acting that everything's fine when it's not actually fine. And it, that's not healed, that there's no healing, there's no reconciliation, there's no moving on together in peace and joy until I just say that thing that's on my heart and then we can begin to deal with it. I think it's the same way with God, but we end up praying passive-aggressive prayers because we're afraid of somehow hurting his feelings or, or of being seen as unfaithful. Absolutely. And it comes down to trust. Do we trust God to have a strong enough ego that we can that we can confront him uh do we trust that he cares enough about us that we can be honest with who we are you know it's not the people that it's not the people that i'm close to that i that i put up my fake happy self with you know it's the people that i'm afraid of um, the people who know me know all of me and so where do, where are we going to put god are we willing to be to be vulnerable and say i'm I don't like this. This is, this is hard. This hurts me. You talk about the gray season. Uh, and I'm familiar with this because I lived in Minnesota for a few years. It's the worst time of year. It's, it's the time of year, like March is rolling around and, and, and you have this perfect, beautiful 60 degree sunny day. And then the next day you get six inches of snow. And so as a result, everything's covered with salt and mud and piles of, of, of snow that have been muddy snow, you know, everything is just gray and, and, and depressing. <laughs> and you talk about in the middle of the gray season, that's when we need endurance the most because we've gone through the really hard stuff and, and we see the light at the end of the tunnel, but it's just, it's just without, you know, it's just past our grasp. Um, and you say, keep going keep going. And I feel like that's such a word in season for us right now. We've gone through already two months of sheltering in place, and we don't know how long it's going to be. Why is it so important to endure, and how can we do that? You know, endurance is something I end up coming back to again and again, and all the things that I write. Um, there just comes a moment where you've reached the end of your rope, and there is truly no more rope. Um, but the time isn't up yet. There's still, there's still so much more time and you don't even know how long it is. And you just have to somehow stay there at the end of the rope because there's no other choice. Um, and we definitely don't like that. Um, it is very, very hard. And I don't want to downplay how hard it is, especially during a time like this where so many people are losing loved ones. So many people are struggling with illness. So many people have lost their entire livelihood and they don't know how they're going to feed their kids or even provide shelter. Um, I'm not in any way saying that, just grin and bear it. I'm not saying that at all. Um, those seasons where we come to the end of the rope and the time is still clicking and there's no salvation on the horizon, that's, I think, where we really start to despair. Like you were saying, we can do anything for a little while. It's even kind of fun, you know. Uh, people are putting up videos of their family lip singing to, to parodies that they've written about the pandemic. But I've noticed there's not that many of those anymore. We're all starting to fray and we're starting to disintegrate. And we are 
miscommunicating a lot more and we're blaming each other a lot more. And I think uh, we are, every human on the globe is at the end of our rope. And uh, how are we going to keep holding on? And I'm not saying I have an answer to that question. I don't. I don't know how I am going to keep holding on. Um, but I know that, again, God is here. And I know that this season will eventually pass. It may be months longer than I want it to be. It might be years longer than I want it to be. There might be long-term consequences of this that will never recover. I may lose people that I can't live without. Um, and yet God is here. I know it. I'm confident. I'm here to tell you today that God is present right here at the end of the rope. So when the scriptures tell us to find joy in all things, they're not telling us to fake it or to uh, flip a switch. I don't think you can ever flip a switch, really. And you know, the Bible and church history, both thousands of years, were not written by naive people who never really encountered any problems. It was written by slaves and exiles and uh, peasants <laughs> under the thumb of an empire, um, people who were killed and people who lost and people who suffered. And throughout it all, they said, we have found that God is present and that God is faithful and that God is loving with ever, ever loving kindness. And, um, we, we stand on the shoulders, not of people who had a really positive outlook. We stand on the shoulders of people who were in the depths of suffering and found God to be real and present and said, the next generation needs to know this. Do not fail to share this good news with the next generation that God is here and faithful and will see you through to the end. Tell the next generation, tell your children and your children's children. And we are the recipients of countless generations of suffering people who said you need to know god is here that is good stuff i'm gonna read uh i'm gonna read one more part of your book from your chapter on endurance this is about a page long this is reality existence is beauty and pain in equal and astonishing measure we must acknowledge that joy and suffering coexist as one and not two, that God has not promised a life free from pain, but a life lived within pain, and that worship and healing happen only in this place, that God remains with us through the darkest night, present in our most desperate questions, that with this knowledge in our body and soul we can and will stand, lift our faces and arms, and be fully alive. We must rise and move forward again and again each day, not in spite of the pain, not with false, naive trust, but with the pain and in perfect trust. There is no trick or gimmick, no way to escape. There's only God. And as we endure, as we choose life again and again, we grow stronger. We learn to see him even in the dark. Friend, this is the truth. This reality is where God lives and where we find him, where we worship him. This is the only place where life can be truly and fully embraced. This request to live abundantly in a world of pain and beauty is an invitation to life. It is hard, so hard, during the winter seasons of life and of our souls. I tremble with fear at the thought of putting this truth on paper, of saying it aloud, but here is the truth, and with God's help, I summon the courage to say it. We 
can rejoice in all circumstances. With God's help, we shall strengthen the muscles of endurance and rejoice even in the dark. With God as our helper, we will stand in the day of trouble and we will dance. Yeah. With God's help. And that's the takeaway for me at the end of the day, is that we don't walk alone in any of this. And as long as the risen Christ walks with us, we have reason for hope, we have reason for joy. Yes, even in the midst of quarantine and uncertainty, we don't walk alone. Catherine McNeil, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. If you guys want to get in touch with Catherine, you can find her at our website, katherinemcneil.com. That's Catherine with a C and McNeil with an I-E. There you can find uh, links to her books. Of course, you can find those on Amazon as well. And you can sign up for her newsletter uh, and get links to more of her essays. She's a wonderful writer and obviously a deep thinker. Uh, so thanks so much for uh, for being on, Catherine. And thank you all for listening today. If you've enjoyed what you've heard so far, I encourage you to tell your friends, post a link, um, or if you could uh, post a review on iTunes, that would be amazing too. Thank you for listening. My name is Jason Haig. You can find me at jasonhaig.com, H-A-G-U-E, or at Jason Haig Writer on Facebook. Uh, this is the Aching Joy Podcast. <laughs>